Welcome to this podcast from the Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism. I'm David Bowes, your host. Discovery Institute senior fellow and author Wesley J. Smith published a column in the Weekly Standard exploring a recent failed attempt by PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, to get the courts to recognize SeaWorld killer whales as persons under the 13th Amendment. He also revealed why these attempts to grant animals legal status in court should not be dismissed as absurd stunts, but should be recognized as a dangerous vanguard of a radical anti-human ideological agenda. I recently had the opportunity to speak to him about why these cases are much more than the publicity stunts they seem. When People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, went to court to try and get SeaWorld's killer whales listed as slaves under the 13th Amendment, I dismissed it as a publicity stunt, but they were really on a fishing expedition, pun intended, uh, so to speak. Uh, Describe what they were seeking to do. Right. Well, first off, anything PETA does of this kind, of course, is a publicity stunt. They are masters at getting in the media. But they have an ideology, and I think people have to understand That animal rights is not the same thing as animal welfare. And often the the two terms get conflated so that in the Michael Vick situation, the animal abuse situation, the dog fighting, that was talked about as an animal rights case when it really wasn't. It was an animal welfare case and an animal abuse case. Mm -hmm. Animal rights of the kind that PETA practices is an ideology. And this ideology says that humans and animals have equal moral value And therefore, anything that is done to an animal should be viewed as if the same thing were done to a human being. Hence, they brought a lawsuit, and by the way, the whales were named as plaintiffs in that lawsuit, Tilikum, Katina, Corky, Kasatka, and Ulysses. And they sought to have the whales, or the whales sought to be able to sue to have themselves declared slaves under the 13th Amendment. And the reason they said that should work is because the 13th Amendment doesn't specifically state that a slave is a human being. Well, of course, it was deemed that. You don't have to state it, you know? Right. Uh, well, what the judge did, and now this is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and of course anything can happen in the Ninth Circuit, and a lot of times radicals file litigation in this area in the hope that their lightning will strike. This particular judge said, no, you have to understand that at the time the 13th Amendment was uh, enacted, that a slave was deemed to be a person which is the same thing as a human being, case dismissed. Well, the reason I wrote the article in the Weekly Standard that uh, I think generated this interview is that there is a tremendous effort about to get underway among animal rights legal activists to have whales, chimpanzees, perhaps pigs and other what we used to call higher mammals declared persons based on their supposed capacities. And this is something that is being done in order to support a very urgently desired goal in animal rights advocacy, again, distinguishing it from animal welfare, Mm -hmm. to be able to have animals bring lawsuits. It's called animal standing. And the idea would be, obviously, that let's say uh, some animal rights activists were against cattle ranching. Well, they bring a lawsuit to have the cattle herd sue the rancher to declare abuse and so forth. This already occurs, by the way, in Switzerland. There is one canton in Switzerland in which animals are appointed lawyers and are able to bring lawsuits. The last one I heard was a lawsuit brought on behalf of a dead pike who had been caught while fishing, and the claim of the dead pike was that the fishing was abusive because it took too long to catch it, and of course the pike became dinner. Now, we can laugh at that, 
But believe me, these are very serious people with hundreds of millions of dollars potentially at their beck and call to bring these cases. And there are more than 100 law clinics at our top law schools in the country that are teaching lawyers of tomorrow how to bring cases against people on behalf of animals or by animals and other methods of using the court system to impede animal husbandry and animal industries. So is the motivation for this profit for a, a desperate legal system, or is it some kind of diminishment of human beings kind of ideology? I think it's the latter. PETA is not in it for the money. They collect money, but Ingrid Newkirk doesn't make a lot of money in this kind of thing. The Humane Society of the United States, which I deem to be a stealth animal rights organization, it doesn't pitch the ideology, but it brings a lot of litigation. It's chewing from the outside toward the center in an attempt to impede animal agriculture to make it more expensive and so forth. But what these people are motivated by is an anti-human exceptionalist mindset. That is, they reject the idea that human beings have higher moral value than animals. In PETA's example, their slogan is, animals are not ours to wear, to eat, to use in entertainment, and so forth. Or as Ingrid Newkirk, the head, said, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. The idea being that because animals can suffer and feel pain, and because humans can suffer and feel pain, we are moral equals. That's how PETA went for two years with a very straight face around the country, to colleges all over the country and all over the world, with what they called the Holocaust on Your Plate campaign in which they literally equated eating meat and wearing leather with the death camps in Germany. And that wasn't just to get publicity. That wasn't just to be a little propagandistic or to be a little provocative. They mean it. They believe it. And what I hope listeners will understand is that animal rights truly understood, not animal welfare, is anti-human in that it diminishes us to just another animal in the forest. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about human animals and non-human animals, or they'll talk about animals in the context of humans as other animals, meaning we're animals. Now, of course, biologically we're animals, but the issue is a moral issue and an ethical issue. We are distinct from fauna, but the animal rights activists deny that. If they're successful in this, what's the danger? What does the diminishment of human beings look like when animals become elevated? Well, first, the very concept of rights, I think, ends up like currency during a wild inflation. If a squirrel has the same right to life as you, doesn't that diminish the value of the right to life just instinctively? Of course, we know that. There's a lot of anti-humanism in the air. You see it in radical environmentalism, animal rights, and so forth. You end up with a self-regard as a species that is far less than it should be. And if we think of ourselves merely as another animal in the forest, I submit that's eventually how we will act. But more directly and more immediately, there would be a practical impact of animal rights lawyers and ideologues. Realize these lawsuits would actually be brought by the ideologues who have the intention to destroy animal industries. So you would have legal attacks against the cattle industry, legal attacks against medical research. The uh, wonderful primate lab that you have up in Oregon would be under attack and threat of lawsuits from the animals within the facility itself. It would throw not only our society into chaos because animals and their uses are throughout our society, not just meat, not just clothing, but these products, byproducts, are used in many, many, many products and services. And eventually, I hate to tell you, the ultimate goal, they don't talk about it much, is no pets, because 
dogs are slaves. If you read Gary Francione, who's a law professor at Rutgers, who uh, leads what's called the abolitionist movement, he says that mere sentience is what gives equal rights, and in fact that dogs should not exist. I quote him in the book I wrote on this issue, that dogs should not exist because they're a human invention. So he thinks we should care for them properly, but not let them breed, and eventually no more dogs, no more domestic cats, and so forth. In light of this radical agenda, one of the things that strikes me is if they accomplish what they wanted, it would be much like the book Animal Farm, where the lawyers who are speaking supposedly on behalf of what they viewed as what the animals desired would be more powerful than the rest of the human beings who are only speaking for themselves. Precisely, because they would be the ones bringing the lawsuits and supposedly representing the animals. By the way, we've seen the same kind of advocacy for nature rights wherein you have in Bolivia and Ecuador in their constitutions the rights of nature specifically that are considered to be equal with those of humans. And we've had 20 municipalities in this country, including Santa Monica and Pittsburgh, that have adopted a form of nature rights in an attempt to impede exploitation of resources within the boundaries. And you had the fellow who's the holder, I think his name is the science czar for the Obama administration, 20, 30 years ago, said trees should be allowed to bring lawsuits. And that's exactly the kind of radicalism that is increasingly moving forward in powerful legal circles we need to be aware of today. That concludes this podcast for the Discovery Institute's Center for Human Exceptionalism. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support the mission of the Discovery Institute's Center for Human Exceptionalism, please visit discovery.org, click Human Exceptionalism, then click the yellow Donate button. This podcast is copyright 2012, The Discovery Institute. All rights reserved.